0: Well, hey, everybody. Good morning. My name is Julie, and I'm one of the pastors here at Resurrection City Church. I want to give a special welcome to you this morning if you're just visiting with us, um, and also want to say Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers who are here. Um, it's always a special and a fun day when we get to do Mother's Day and a child dedication in the same service. So if you're here for us, here with us for that, we're just really glad that you can be here to worship with us this morning. I also just want to say that if Mother's Day is a hard day for you, for whatever reason, um, maybe you've lost your mom, or maybe you desire to be a mom and you haven't had that opportunity, uh, I just want to let you know you're definitely not alone this morning, um, and that as a church family, we think it's important to rejoice with the people who are celebrating, uh, but also to grieve with the people who are mourning, and so. Wherever you're at this morning, however you came in, uh, we just want to know that we're here with you, Um, and if you want to pray with anybody, uh, we'll have someone praying in the back during worship after the sermon, Um, and I'm always here too if you want to come talk or pray after the service. I'd love to have that opportunity. So I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we are going to head into our message this morning looking at God's grace in the story of Hannah. So um, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, uh, for this chance to celebrate what you are doing in the lives of people at Resurrection City. Just pray that you would be with us this morning, wherever we're at, however we come in this morning. Would you be present? Would you help us to feel your spirit? Um, And would you help us to hear your word this morning? Help us to hear whatever you have to say to us and that we would be willing to hear it, we'd be willing to receive it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you are just joining us for the first time this morning, we are wrapping up a series that we have called According to Grace. And so uh, we've kind of looked at this grace as a defining aspect of God's character. So in Romans uh, chapter 4, it talks about how God acts in a pattern of grace. So he acts according to grace. And what we've been doing uh, through this series is kind of looking at some Old Testament stories to see how we can see that pattern of God's grace working, even from the very beginning all the way um, through the story of Scripture. And this morning, we are getting to look at the story of Hannah. And because it's another Old Testament story, that means you get more uh, story time with Pastor Julie this morning. Um, So let's set the stage. The story of Hannah is in the book of 1 Samuel. So if you um, aren't familiar with the order of the books of the Bible, or if you don't remember them, that's totally okay. I put them up here for you so you can kind of see where 1 and 2 Samuel falls in the overall story of scripture. So in this series, we've talked through God's grace in Abraham in Genesis. We looked at Moses, um, particularly in Exodus, and then kind of onward. And if you follow that story, continue on, the people are promised a king in the book of Deuteronomy, and then Moses hands off his leadership to a guy named Joshua, so you see that next. And then we hit the book of Judges, which if you've ever read the book of Judges, it's essentially just like a big downward spiral of bad leader after bad leader after bad leader. So things are looking pretty grim by the time we get to First and Second Samuel. And if you have ever watched a movie or read a book or something where you're like, you know, following the plot and sort of you get to the middle and you're like, where is this going? I sort of feel like we've lost track of what we were moving towards. That's kind of how it feels at this point in scripture. It's like, where is that thread of God's grace? Where, you know, is he still going to fulfill all of these promises that he's made or what, what are we doing? Where are we going? So it just sort of feels like the thread of God's grace is lost. Where is he? What is he doing in the story? And we'll see that Hannah, her story sort of acts like a a little micro story that represents the larger picture of what's happening in scripture at this point. So we'll see how Hannah in her personal life sort of feels like that thread of God's grace has been lost and how uh, that represents sort of how the people of God at that point in time felt. So let's dive in to 1 Samuel. We're starting First Samuel 1, verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathion, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zup, an Ephraimite. Hardest part of the sermon done. <laughs> he had two wives one was called Hannah, and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. All right, so again, we're going back to our characters, um, and I had to go back with the cartoons this week because apparently no one's made a TV series of uh, the story of Hannah yet like they had with Esther. And so we start with Elkanah. Can you say Elkanah with me? And look at that smolder. He's a, we're going to find he's a pretty good guy, uh, other than the fact that he had two wives, which is complicated. Uh, but other than that, he worships God, and we're going to see he's actually pretty sweet uh, to Hannah. And so Elkanah has two wives, as the story says, and I just want to throw this out there in case that's a little bit strange to hear in Scripture. we got to remember that, especially uh, in Scripture in the Old Testament, it's not always um, prescriptive, telling us what we should do. Uh, It can often be descriptive, just describing what was happening in that time. Uh, And really, if you read through the Old Testament, you see that any time that someone has multiple wives there's actually a lot of strife and conflict that comes out of those relationships. And so that should be sort of a sign to us that this is maybe not what God intended. And we're going to see that with Hannah and Penina um, because they've got some conflict going on in their relationship as well. So let's look at uh, his two wives. We've got Hannah and then can you say Penina with me? I'm not going to make you say Hannah because I think you know how to say that one. Uh, And so we learn that... Penina has children, but Hannah does not, and you can see she looks. Penina looks pretty smug about that in this picture. Um, we'll see that that's a big part of the conflict uh, in their relationship that we're going to see. So let's jump back in. It was verse three. Year after year, this man went up to his town to worship, to sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phineas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice. He would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. So we learned that Hannah can't have children. Uh, She is barren is the word that scripture often uses. We don't use that term a lot. Now we kind of talk a little bit more about infertility, a more common way of saying it. And if you've never experienced infertility or not being able to have a child for some reason... It's an incredibly painful experience. Some medical professionals actually compare the pain and stress of not being able to have children to the pain and stress of a cancer diagnosis. So this is a really heavy and painful thing that Hannah is experiencing. And if you take you know if we're thinking about now it's as painful as being diagnosed with cancer, you've got to take Hannah's experience and multiply it by fifty, because in her world, in her time, Having children, unfortunately, was like the only thing expected of women. It was the only thing that people looked for in women, and, and it would have brought shame on her, and by extension, her family, her community, that she wasn't able to have children. And in fact, it wasn't uncommon for husbands in this time just to leave their wives if they couldn't have their children. But Alkana, he doesn't do that. He turns out to be a pretty good guy. In fact, he treats Hannah with special favor, even higher honor than his other wife who has children. He gives Hannah a double portion of this food, which, again, to us sounds kind of strange, but it would have been a really big deal in this time period. Uh, And so he shows all of this extra love and attention to Hannah. And this really irritates Penina, because she's like, hey, I'm the one who has children here. Why aren't you treating me better? But instead of talking to him, of course, she takes it out on Hannah. So we we'll pick back up in verse six. It says, Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, I love that they use the word rival here, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? So Penina is jealous of the special favor that Hannah gets, and so she decides that she's going to rub the fact that she has children in Hannah's face. And not only that, but she actually sort of connects it to every time they go to worship the Lord. So it's almost as if she connects it to Hannah's faith. Like, oh, well, you know, you don't have children, like maybe, you know, maybe your faith isn't as good, or maybe God doesn't love you quite as much. And this goes on for years. And even though Akana clearly still loves Hannah, right, he says, "Aren't don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Which, again, in that time period, sons were like the biggest deal. So for him to say that she means more to him than 10 sons is a huge, huge compliment for Hannah. Uh, but, Even though she knows that she's still loved beyond what she can produce, uh, she's still sad because we can feel multiple things at once. And so you can sort of start to see how for Hannah and her story, it feels like that thread of God's grace is lost. She's kind of wondering, what's going on? Why am I experiencing this? Where is God in all of this? And so the pain and confusion confusion that she's feeling sort of stands as a representation for the pain and confusion of all of God's people as they're waiting for that promised king and for God to show up. And honestly, that feeling of pain or confusion about what God is doing in our personal lives uh, or in the broader world around us is something that we can all probably relate to at times. And this is the beauty of these stories in scripture. This is why I love looking at Old Testament stories, because when we look through them and we take the time to understand them in their context, I think there's really a lot we can learn and still apply to our own lives as well, even though the context is completely different and may feel foreign to us. So that's what I want to do with the rest of our time here. I want to look at what, how Hannah responds and how God responds and see what we can take away, how we can apply it to our lives uh, as well. So first, I want to look at how Hannah goes to God when she is in pain, when she has this confusion and this experience of not knowing where God is and wondering what he's doing. She still goes to him. So we're going to pick back up in verse 9. It says, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head." So you might be wondering what the whole razor thing is about. It kind of feels like an odd detail. Uh, But long story short, Hannah is making what is called a Nazarite vow, which is something uh, that people would do to basically set someone apart for God, for working for God, for his service. And not cutting your hair was like a sign that you were being set apart for God. Uh, If you want to learn more about it, you can read Numbers chapter 6. But that's kind of the basic of it. And the big takeaway is that Hannah is saying, if you give me a child, I will set him apart for you, God. I will uh, give him to you for the service of your work and your ministry. So picking back up in verse 12, it says, As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. So we get another character here. We get Eli, the priest, and he sees Hannah, and he's like, oh, great. Another drunk woman uh, here that I'm going to have to go tell to go home. Which again, we should see as another sign that things are not going super well for the people of God right now, right? Things have been kind of in a downward spiral to the point where it's pretty common for there to be people who, while they're there to worship God, to be getting drunk and Eli having to kick them out. And so that's what he thinks is happening. And Hannah says, no, 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 that's not me. (laughs) I haven't been drinking. She says, I have been pouring out my soul to the Lord. And I think there's something to highlight here because Hannah was in deep pain and she could have just as easily chosen to deal with her pain through alcohol. It's not like that was uncommon then or now, but she doesn't. She chooses to bring that pain to God. And there are so many things, uh, probably even more now than there were when Hannah was alive, that we can use to deal with our pain in uh, ways that are other than going to God. We can distract ourselves with our phones, basically have it with us all the time. We can watch Netflix until we forget what we're worried about. We can just be busy, right? Just fill our time. Anything that we can do to sort of take the edge off of those hard emotions that we might be feeling. But Hannah doesn't do that. Instead, it says that she pours her soul out to God And she does it so aggressively that Eli thinks she's actually drunk. I have to admit, I don't think I've ever prayed so hard that someone could have looked at me and thought that I was drinking. I don't actually think I've done anything with that much intensity before that someone might look at me and think, oh, yeah, she's probably drunk. However, this is not so true for my husband, Joel. (laughs) Now, I have a funny story that Joel has given me permission to tell uh, related to this, but before I tell this embarrassing story of my husband, uh, I need you to promise you're going to remember the point and not just the story, okay? (laughs) So, when Joel was in high school, he went to a high school dance, as one does, and he was having a good time, he was dancing his heart out, and... (laughs) Apparently, it was not uncommon at his high school for kids to show up to these dances drunk. This is northern Minnesota. Um, and Joel was not one of those people. But as he tells the story, you can, like, smell the alcohol in this high school cafeteria. And there are some police officers there who are sort of looking for these kids who might be drunk so that they can kind of you know take them out. And so as everybody is dancing, uh, Joel is the one who gets pulled out to take a breathalyzer test. <laughs> and it's not until he blows a zero and the cops look confused that he realizes, oh, <laughs> my dancing must be that bad. That They are the ones that they think I'm the one who's drunk, even though all of my classmates are, are those uh, ones. And so I actually think Joel's a great dancer. If you can get him to dance at weddings, it's a lot of fun. Um, but the point I want you to remember... Is that when you're in pain, I want you to go to God with as much intensity as Joel brought to that high school dance. (laughs) Okay, that's what Hannah teaches us. She says, bring your all, bring everything you got, right? All of the emotions, all of yourself, take all of that to God. Don't hold back. And I think one of the beautiful things about what Hannah shows us is that she's not necessarily going to God just because she wants to get something from him, right? This has been going on for years. She's been facing barrenness and all, you know, being provoked by her rival for years. So I don't think she's going to God because she's like, all right, I got to convince him of this. She goes to God in the same way that you or I might go to a friend or a spouse or a parent when we're feeling distressed, We go to that person because we want to feel comforted or we want to find solace there. And that is what Hannah does. She brings everything she has to God because she knows that she will be comforted by him. So be inspired by Joel's enthusiasm and Hannah's intensity to remember to bring everything you have, all of your emotions to God instead of finding ways to numb or distract yourself from those things. The second thing that we see in this little story of Hannah that kind of represents the bigger thread of when God feels lost is that uh, in the story of Hannah, we see it's easy to highlight her, right? It's easy to be like, Hannah's the hero. Look at how great she is. She does all these things right, which isn't necessarily wrong. She does do a lot of great things. But as we read the story, we see that God is going to be faithful anyways, It's not actually about what Hannah does. It's about what God was always planning to do. So we're going to pick back up in the story in verse 17. It says, Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Earlier the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. So God gives Hannah a child, and she does some kind of wordplay with how she names him. So the name Samuel in Hebrew sounds like the phrase, heard by God. So it's kind of a little, that's a common thing then, like instead of always focusing on the meaning of a name, sometimes it was like, oh, it kind of sounds like this other phrase. And so she says, because I asked, God heard. God responds to Hannah, and we see that his faithfulness points ahead to actually the faithfulness he has for all of God's people. For the whole story of scripture. And when we look ahead in this story, we find Samuel grows up to play an important role in the story of God's people. But he isn't the king that everyone's waiting for. I think that's what we would think, right? You know, we've got this story who sort of represents a larger story. This has got to be it, right? This has got to be the king. But Samuel is actually the one who gets to anoint the king. The king ends up being a a guy named David. But Samuel goes ahead and he gets to anoint the king, kind of say, this is the guy, this is who it's going to be. And this is maybe a small nuance in the story, but I think it matters that we see that God was going to be faithful anyways, right? David was still going to come around into this story. He, God was still going to be faithful to his promise to provide a king. But because Hannah asked to be a part of God's work, God heard her and allowed her to play this role in this bigger story of his faithfulness. God was going to be faithful no matter what. But Hannah asked, and now she gets to be a part of it. And God gives her this grace to be a part of the larger story, but it's not like she earns it. I think that's the thing we always want to look at when we look at the Hannah story, right? It's like, oh, she prayed so hard, she must have, like, convinced God to be gracious to her through her serious, intense praying. But that's not true, because when we think about that, we're losing the fact that God is always gracious, right? That's been one of the main points of the sermon series. It's a part of who he is. It's a part of his character. And Hannah got to experience part of that because she asked God to show it to her. She asked to be involved in what was going on in his grace, and he invited her to be a part. And I think that's true for us, right? We don't need to convince God to be gracious to us because we know he already is. But when we go to him, we get to experience more of that grace when we bring our emotions and our cares and our worries to him. We get It's not so much that we're convincing God to be gracious, but it's like we're remembering that that's who he already is. And if we're willing and we want to be a part of what God's doing in the world, he will give us those opportunities to be involved. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, that's more responsibility than I really want, right? Like, I I want God to answer my prayers, but I'm maybe not as much into, like, you know, having this big role in what God's doing in the larger world. But I think if that's how you feel, I understand it, right? We're busy people, I get it. But I think you're missing a key element of God's grace. And it's one of the last things we learn from Hannah's story. Hannah shows us that we are never meant to be end users of God's grace. So what do I mean by that? An end user, uh, from what I've learned, is a term that's used more in like product development, and it refers to the person who's actually going to end up using the product. So if I were to buy a gift from my mom for Mother's Day, I would not be the end user, but my mom would be, because I'm passing it on to her. And God's grace is never meant to end with just one person. It's meant to be continually passed on. And Hannah shows a deep understanding of this. Because from the very start, Hannah planned to give her gift of grace, this child that God gives her, back to God so that he could serve God and share that grace with more people. That's that Nazarite vow that she makes in verse 11. She says, God, if you give me this gift of a child, I will give him to your service so that more people can experience your grace. I'll recognize that all good things come from you and that nothing that I have is my own. It's all meant to be given back and be continued on to share that grace. And we see in the story that she follows through on this. So later on in chapter one, after Samuel has been born and he's weaned, so he might be like, I think most scholars think he's probably around three years old when this happens. Uh, In verse 25, it says, "'They brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, "'Pardon me, my lord,' As surely as you live, I'm, I'm that woman that you thought was drunk. Uh, I was the one who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And Samuel does grow up to serve God. As I mentioned, he grows up to be the person who anoints King David uh, and goes on to serve God. And ultimately then, right, the line of King David ends in Jesus or continues on to Jesus. So Hannah's commitment to not being the end user of God's grace actually has a really big payoff in the long run. You could even make the argument that we're experiencing some of that grace even today as we follow Jesus. Because she played that role of anointing King David who's in that line. And this continuation of God's grace, it's actually always been God's plan. If we go back all the way to Abraham, in the very beginning in Genesis, we talked about him in the first week of the sermon series, we can hear it in the promise that God gave him, all the way back in Genesis 12. I'm going to read it, and I want you to listen for how this shows that we are not meant to be the end users of God's grace. In Genesis 12, 1 through 2, it says, "...I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing." I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So from the very beginning, God's plan of grace was always meant for all people, for everybody on earth to be blessed by it. It was never meant to stay with one person, one family, one tribe, one race, one people group. It was always meant to be passed on so that everyone on earth could experience God's grace. And in order for that to happen, God invites us to participate in the plan by never viewing God's grace as something that's just for us, but as something that we are called to share. And it makes me think of this um, Pass It On campaign that was kind of popular. I feel like it started back in like the early 2000s. Uh, But I looked it up, and they still make billboards. So if you've ever seen something like this before, I feel like my middle school had these posters all over it. Um, but they say things like, uh, kindness, pass it on, and then they usually have some celebrity or somebody on, uh, on the billboard as well. But this was like kind of a whole trend, right? This idea of paying it forward, of um, if someone does something nice, doing more things for someone else. If you've ever, I used to work in coffee shops and you'd get sometimes where like the person would pay for the person behind them and then they would pay for the person behind them and it would kind of go on for a while. And I think the reason that we like this whole idea of paying it forward or, you know, I think the reason this campaign caught on for a while is because that's how we were designed to operate, right? This is how God made the world. This is how he intended it to work. We're never meant to be end users of God's grace. So as I wrap up this message and really kind of we're wrapping up this whole series on grace, I want to think and encourage you to think about how God might be calling you to share the grace that he has given you. And as I was thinking about it for myself, I kind of divided it up into three categories. I was thinking about the gospel, spiritual gifts, and physical blessings. So I'm going to walk through these pretty quickly because There are a lot of things that I can't really tell you how to do it because your life is different than my life, and you have different things and opportunities than I do. Um, But I want to get you to start thinking about it, and then encourage you to take it with you. Um, If you're in a community group, we'll be talking about it this week as well. So first and foremost, the gospel. Through this series, we've looked specifically at God's grace in the Old Testament to see how you know it's part of always been a part of God's character. It doesn't change when we get to the New Testament. But the beautiful thing about these Old Testament stories is that they all point ahead to what God does in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham, about Abraham being a blessing to all nations. This happens through Abraham's lineage leading up to Jesus and his life and death and resurrection. And we get to see these glimpses of God's grace kind of playing out in all of these stories of Moses and Esther and the people of Israel and Hannah. Because they all point ahead to the ultimate way that God offers us his saving grace, which is through Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. And that's made available to anybody, to all people who choose to follow him. So when we think about how we're not meant to be end users of God's grace, I think we have to start with the good news of Jesus. And I'm guessing that when you made the choice to follow Jesus, if you're a a Christ follower here today, that there may have been people in your life who were involved in helping you understand the message of who Jesus was and what he had done for us. And so I want you to think about who those people were in your own life and think about maybe where you would be if you didn't have that. Because that helps us remind us, like, it is important to be involved in other people's lives and to kind of continue to share that message. Now, I know that when I bring up the topic of, you know, evangelism or talking to other people about God, I think we all kind of maybe are like, I don't know how comfortable I feel with that. (laughs) And I think part of it is because a lot of us were taught that the way you go about sharing that good news of who Jesus is, is by giving a piece of paper to someone and maybe walking through like three points and trying to get them to pray a prayer at the end. And, you know, maybe that worked for a while in our culture, but I really don't think that that's probably the best thing that's going to work for us now. Uh, but just because that method doesn't work anymore doesn't mean that we don't have opportunities to still share God's grace with others. We can be in relationship with one another. We can care for people. We can pray for people. We can have conversations with them as they come up. We can be in people's lives and be ready to share that good news with them, because the good news of Jesus's grace is the best thing we can share with other people. It's the best thing that's ever been shared with us, and we have that opportunity to continue to pass it on. And if you're interested in talking more about, like, how do I have those conversations with people, I think we're actually going to have a breakout session on that uh, at our summer retreat. So if you're coming to that, uh, I'd love for you to, to be a part of that session. Okay, the second thing um, is the spiritual gifts. So we've talked about spiritual gifts at Resurrection City fairly often, um, but just the idea that God has made each of us uniquely with different skills, different passions, different giftings, and these gifts are actually a specific grace that have been given to us. It's God's grace working in our own lives so that we can share with others around us. And when you give someone a gift, right, it's not meant to just, you know, sit on a shelf and never be used. That doesn't feel like a great gift, right, if that's what happens. Gifts are meant to be used. They're meant to be enjoyed and shared. And so I encourage you to, you know, think about what are those things? How has God made me so that I can share his grace, you know, whether that's inside the church or outside of the church, in your family, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, finding ways to use the the uniqueness that God has given you to share his grace. And then the last one I'm going to talk about is physical blessings. Uh, This could be your possessions, could be money, could be your place that you live. And as Hannah teaches us, even our kids are part of this. Now, if you're a parent of an adult child here today, I think you probably feel this and know this in a way that many of the other parents in the room might not. Right? You've lived through watching your kids grow up and raising them, uh, and you know that the ultimate goal was to raise them so that they could go out into the world and be their own unique person, uh, and not just to keep them in your house forever, as much as you may have wanted to do that. And I know that uh, now we're hoping that the parents today will pass that on to their own children, that as they raise their kids, they can remember that this is a blessing from God, that they get to share with the world uh, through raising them and sending them out, ultimately, onto their own. And when it comes to our physical blessings, as much as we like to think, like, hey, I worked hard for these things, right? These things are mine. I am keeping them. I think we need to be reminded that all good gifts come from God. And he gives us these graces so that we can be a part of his larger plan of grace. Because God is a gracious God. It's part of his character. It's what we've been studying this whole time. And he has made us in his own image, which means that we get to be gracious people as well. So as we transition into this time uh, of worship and song through communion and prayer, I want to encourage you to, to think through this list, right? Think about the grace that God has given you, whether it's the grace of knowing who Jesus is, that he has died for us and given us a chance for new life, or whether it's something that he's made you, a passion he's given you, that you've been thinking about but haven't had a chance to really use or dive into. Maybe it's just your physical blessings and thinking about reframing the way you think about them. Less as something that belongs to you and is yours to keep, but something that can be shared in many different ways. So I encourage you to think about this, to be reminded that we're not ever meant to be end users of God's grace, but to pass it on and continue it on. So I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we will head into a time of worship and communion. Uh, anyone is uh, invited to take communion. Uh, you don't have to be a member here, but we just ask that you are someone who is a follower of Jesus, who is in him uh, and follows him. And then we'll also have someone in the back who's available for prayer. So if there's anything in your life, whether it's a celebration or whether it's something that's been hard, we encourage you to take advantage of that to pray with someone else. All right, I'm going to pray for us and then we will transition into that time. Heavenly Father, we come to you thankful for your grace and for who you are, that you are a gracious God and that you chose not to keep that grace for yourself, but to share it with us. And you chose to do that by giving us your only Son, sending him to live here among us, to die, and then to rise again. Lord, you've given us the ultimate gift, the ultimate grace. And Lord, would you help us be people who don't don't just keep that to ourselves, but are so um, moved by the gift and the grace that you've given us that we become gracious people as well, that we would share your grace with the rest of the world, with everyone around us that we come in contact with. Lord, we just ask that you would uh, speak to every one of us here today, help us to discern what that looks like in our own lives and how we can do that well. In your name we pray. Amen.